Hello, you wonderful woman. Welcome to the Love is Coming podcast. I'm your host, Persia Lawson, one of the UK's most successful love coaches, according to the Times Magazine, and author of the book, Love is Coming. It's my mission through this podcast to help single women, specifically female leaders, get powerful, soul-expanding relationships that revolutionize your growth, impact, and happiness during your time on planet Earth. Let's get straight to it. Hey loves, welcome back. So today I'm very excited indeed to be interviewing Lucy Litback, who is the CEO and owner of luxury lingerie and erotica brand Coco Demur. She's focused on building a female-run, female-focused business that celebrates and empowers women, which is why it is right up my street to be having this conversation. Lucy, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing? Really good, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here and chat to you about all my topics. (laughs) So, Hoko Demur is an incredible brand. You already had, from my research, 18 years of experience in the lingerie sector before you uh, working there for three years as managing director. So what I'm really intrigued by is what inspired you to take the risk and, and buy the brand itself? It's sort of like, were you mad? Um, (laughs) Firstly, thank you. It's, um, I mean, I I just love the brand, but it is, um, it's so nice to hear other people say that too. So thank you. But yes, I've now been CEO of Coconut Air for eight years. um, After I was headhunted to run it in 2014 by the previous owners. And it's weird, I just sort of immediately realized the huge potential it had. I sort of, I had, you know, did have about 20 years in the in the laundry industry. And I just, it, it felt like home. It just felt like the brand that I wanted to grow and own. And, and I think that's because, you know, from when it launched in 2001, up until that point in 2014, it had been considered this sort of niche erotic emporium with a plethora of sort of third-party brands across multiple categories. And then when I joined, um, we sort of started that sort of strategic curation. And then I completed an MBO in 2017. And the reason I think I was, I felt like it was the right time to take that risk was just because it felt like the mood had changed a bit. And the conversations around sex were starting to become a bit more mainstream and that felt like actually maybe we can grow Coco de Mer from that niche brand into a global luxury brand and that we could sort of despite being an erotic brand we could finally kind of come out of the shadows in a way because you know the world had moved on a bit from 2001 and and so it just felt like it was a it was a time that was worth taking the risk on, really. Mm-hmm. And I just really, really wanted to put the focus back on women mm-hmm. and with the brand. And I just had this vision that I wanted to build this kind of true icon of pleasure in luxury so that we could occupy that kind of intersection between style, luxury, pleasure, um, creating kind of you know this beautiful collection of luxury lingerie but also the the adult toys and the accessories and and just shine a light on the 
power and the potential and the importance of female pleasure and sensuality. Well, that leads me really not sorry to interrupt, but that no, leads no, so no. nicely onto my next question. So I read that you believe that women are more empowered in a post 50 shades um, of grey world. So this is I, I completely agree with you. I feel like there's been such a significant shift in in like the last five years. And I also think that because it's it's all being, you know, female sexual empowerment is being talked about so much more. But I'm in, interested in what's your take on this? Like, what does that actually mean? And how has that film, which was obviously huge and very iconic, I can't even remember the year that it came out because I've lost all sense of time since COVID. It, Don't was, even know a, it, it was a decade ago that those, no. those books came out. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. Crazy, wow. isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. Time just disappears. Yeah, 2012. That was a decade ago. What's happened? COVID has happened. So, yeah, yeah what... what what does what does female sexual empowerment actually mean to you? And and in what way has Fifty Shades contributed to us being more easily able to tap into it? You know what? It is such a great question because it's true. It is talked about so much now, and it's sort of that throwaway female empowerment. And and I would say, for me, female empowerment is sort of self love and self respect, and having that healthy sort of love, love, respect relationship with ourselves is so crucial. And I think sexual empowerment is not that different. Mm -hmm. It's about having the confidence to know what you want, to say what you want without fear or judgment, and to appreciate and celebrate the importance of your pleasure. And for me, female pleasure, female empowerment and confidence are so intricately linked and, you know, a confident sexuality really can empower so many other facets of life. You know, there's so much to learn about life by exploring our sexuality and our relationships. And I think that when um, Fifty Shades did come out, um, it certainly made people open up to a wider range of sexual pleasure. So mm -hmm. I think when that franchise happened, there was there was a greater interest in the more erotic side of the market, right? So the lingerie industry has evolved so much into a much more sort of fashion-focused area than it used to be. It provided a step change in the erotic industry. It, it opened up people's attitudes to BDSM. It brought some hidden desires to the surface, you know, and it brought that fetish world more into the mainstream because people were reading that book on the tube, you know, at, at the airport, in you know in public basically and couples were laughing about it but they were intrigued as well and so it it just opened up that conversation a bit more about sexual pleasure mm -hmm. um and i think since then the world has continued to evolve and sex is discussed much more openly i think but i still think that it's only now really that female pleasure is starting to get that attention Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it, it wasn't so much about that. Um, but I, I personally think a new revolution is on the way. I think women are starting to discuss the topic more openly, even amongst themselves, because it's, no, it's not just like we didn't talk about it with men. We didn't talk about it amongst our friends either. Um, and I think culture is beginning to catch up. And 
And I do think that if this sexual revolution comes around, it's going to be a much more pleasurable revolution for women than sort of the original one in the 1960s, which was a lot about freedom, but not so much about pleasure. Mm. I love that. And I'm very excited. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to come back to talking about pleasure because that's a really big one. But I just want to circle back to something you said earlier, which I loved. And I don't think this is talked about enough. And you talked about self-love, but you talked about self-respect and respect. And that is something that I feel like gets really missed out of the conversation. And respect is so, so important, certainly in my line of work, when I'm, you know, I'm a dating and relationship coach. Um, But also when it comes to sex, you know, you think about the Me Too movement, you think about um, all of the, the crap that women have had to deal with and they haven't been respected by men. They haven't re- been respected by other women. They haven't respected themselves. That's something that I see time and time again. And in order to experience pleasure and to, to feel safe enough to go there, respect is so key. So could you speak a little bit more into that? Yeah, I mean, yes, it is so crucial. And I think it goes, you know, so much of it goes back to the, um, you know, the conversations that we're hearing so much now with, you know, Roe versus Wade getting overturned in in the US with what's happening in Iran. It's just, you know, there is, you feel like you're making so many strides in, you know, women's liberation and, and women's equality. And then things keep happening that make you feel like there is still so much more to go. And I think that respect is so important across across the board, right? It's it's self-respect, but it's also, you know, for other people to to respect women. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just nowhere near where it should be. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, I find it really depressing because, you just keep thinking that you've you've you know you've got there and you're sort of smashing those glass ceilings and and things are really you know working and then suddenly all these things happen and you think oh so actually we're almost back where we started and how are we going to be able to push back again um and i just I don't know. It just feels like it is a a constant battle for us to, for people to respect our bodies and our and us generally, you know. And it's um, it is uh, it's hard. And I think it's it's all in it's all linked though. And I think you know the the lack of conversation around female pleasure or the lack of interest in female pleasure is about respect as well. Mm-hmm. And so they're also linked and it just feels like there's, um, you know, there's just a a lot of work and we just have to keep, we just have to keep at it, you know, and there's so many women and men doing amazing things in that space to to push that conversation and to get there. But, um, you know, unfortunately, we're not there yet. Just like you said, one day at a time, one foot in front of the other. Yeah, uh, and like we said, you know, look look at what's happened in the last decade since 2012. Like, there's so much change that's happened. So, yeah, we've got to keep going. Exactly. Okay, loads of positive change, loads exactly. of positive change, exactly. But just so much more to come. So much more. Yes, 
So going back to pleasure, how, you know, on, on a practical level, how can we take more ownership of our pleasure as women? I think there are probably three key things here. I would say one is masturbate. Two is communicate. And three is don't fake orgasms. Mm. I would say these kind of three things. And I think, you know, if we go back to number one, whatever you want to call it, self-love, self-pleasure, masturbation, whatever you want to call it, it is the only way to truly understand your own body Mm -hmm. and your own desires and appreciate them. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, for lots of, for like older generations, so like my generation and older, you know, that the idea of female masturbation in a heterosexual relationship was always considered sort of something of a concern, maybe a sign that the relationship had a troubles, and yet male masturbation was a given. Mm. And, but the reality is, you know, what is first of all more healthy than taking time to appreciate your body and to relish those feelings? But also, how can you ever communicate what you like to a partner if you haven't tried it out for yourself and you don't, you literally don't know? So I think it's really important because I think it helps you accept yourself because I think there's also so much fear with women of, am I normal? You know, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not having an orgasm when I have penetrative sex with with a man. Is that because there's something wrong with me? You know, we blame ourselves so much for things. And I think if you actually are practicing self-pleasure, you learn so much about your own body and you see actually what does turn you on, what is positive, you know, and and it makes you realize that actually I'm quite normal. And that I think just leads to self-acceptance, which is the best thing in the world because life is so much easier if you just accept who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, so you've got that sort of exploration of pleasure um and it's fun you know and i think and the statistics say it all you know 95% of women orgasm during masturbation compared to 39% of women during heterosexual sex wow so really why would you not do it like, yeah god it, you know the numbers the game the numbers don't lie. says it all so i think you know that's really important um communication which is you know it's always key and it's also I'm fully aware a lot easier said than done a lot of the time you know but you have to express your needs in the bedroom and I think you know we can blame ourselves a little bit for this that you know if you you know our partners are not mind readers right Mm -hmm. you know and they they need to um we need to have the confidence to tell ourselves you know tell our partners know what we want and then be able to tell them what we want mm-hmm. in a in the right way you know and i think it's um we've got to remember that confidence is attractive it mm-hmm. really is you know it we shouldn't be scared of being intimidating or anything it's you know with the right partner a confident woman is a positive you know and rather than being you know scared of speaking up about ourselves or whatever you know, maybe they'd actually find it a real turn on if you told them what you wanted, you know, mm-hmm. and it's the way you tell them, of course, because you don't want to be going like, you're really crap at this. <laughs> you know, it's like you can put it in a positive light. I would love it if, you know, it doesn't, you know, you say it in the right way. But um, but it's just so important. And then 
And then finally, my mantra of just don't fake orgasms, like that positive reinforcement of something that doesn't give you pleasure will just inevitably lead to the same thing happening again and again. And that's not fair on you. And it's also really not fair on any of his future female partners. Yeah. <laughs> Do it for the sisterhood of nothing else. Exactly. <laughs> We've got to look out for each other, you know? And it's just true. So, you know, to me, that's, they're just three kind of key ways that we can just own our pleasure and, and deal with it. And it's so important. And it's not, you know, it's not just about, oh, you know, because you, I think you can hear it and you just think, oh God, we're all of this conversation just about whether I have an orgasm, but it's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And it is, goes back to that respect conversation. Because if, you know, if, I mean, if we're talking about heterosexual sex, if the man expects to have an orgasm, which every man does when they have heterosexual sex, they expect to have an orgasm. That is what the set, that's why sex ends, right? Yeah. Same as, in, same as in porn, most, you know, 95% of porn, it's like it ends when the man orgasms. Yeah. You know, it should be as important for us to gain, get pleasure in whatever way gives us pleasure. Yeah. Every body is different. Every woman's body is different. But, you know, whatever it is, we deserve it as much as anybody else. And we have to we have to claim it sometimes. You know, we have to. And men men want us to experience pleasure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the reality is, is that, you know, in lesbian relationships, there is very there is really not an orgasm gap like there is in heterosexual relationships. Yeah, so it is very much the male female counterpart that is the um, is the issue here. But it's um, I think we've just got to stop thinking of female pleasure as a luxury and think of it as a necessity as yeah. part of life. You know, preach. Yes, I love that. <laughs> Absolute bloody necessity. Necessity all the way. So, um, oh, my gosh, you made me think of something else then. And I completely forgot. I can't remember. But yeah, the orgasm gap I have written down because that is, I've not heard that before, but that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And it comes back to what we were talking about, about respect, doesn't it? Like it's respect is equality. And my God, we all know that there has not been equality in men's and women's experience of sex, really. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. And you know, that's just the reality. You know, it is from art to culture, education, to pornography, the female perspective on pleasure is rarely discussed and rarely understood. And, you know, women's sexuality has been perceived through the male gaze for far too long. And Mm -hmm. I think, and you see it, and it so often feels sort of reductive or performative rather than something that's actually authentic to our experience. Mm -hmm. Because generations of women have been brought up on what men want you know and they focusing on that aspect of sex has created an incredibly male dominated world mm-hmm. of pleasure and power mm-hmm. leading to so many women not even knowing what they enjoy because they're they're convinced of that too that's how they've grown up it's just the norm mm-hmm. um which is why the uh, respect and the self-pleasure and all of that is is so crucial because it makes a huge difference, you know, from ge- literally from general happiness, confidence to sort of nurturing our relationships and and a fundamental appreciation of ourselves, which is probably the most important, 
knowing and owning female pleasure can be life-changing. You know, you can, and we can all experience it. It's just that, you know, and I, I've seen it, you know, through my work and everything, that the, the hugely positive impact it can have when a woman is allowed to explore her desires, embrace that complexity of sexual pleasure in an environment where it is welcoming and empowering and she doesn't feel judged. Mm-hmm. And it just has this extraordinary effect on their, you know, on a, on a woman's confidence, and that leads to a more equal relationship with men. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you know. makes total sense. And actually, kind of, I guess, leading on from that, in your experience, what issues do you have you seen with maybe successful, high achieving women when it comes to sexuality? Is there anything that may be different from those women who are really crushing it in their careers? Because I've certainly talked to my friends about this. I'm just interested in your take. I think one of the biggest things is then, well, there's two things, I think. One is being considered intimidating. Yep. You know, and 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 I've totally experienced that as well. And it's, you know, they're just so there's that and the idea that you're perceived as overly dominant or, you know, too confident or, you know, and they're just men are quite easily intimidated at times. Mm-hmm. Some men. That's not fair to say all men, some men. Um, and I think the other thing for women, high achieving kind of successful women is relinquishing control. Yes. It's really hard. Because I know I'm a control freak, right? And <laughs> just and you're used to being in control at work, and you're used to being independent, and you're used to being able to manage everything in your life. And mm-hmm. then suddenly emotions come into it, mm-hmm. and you struggle potentially with being vulnerable or with letting people in. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard. And because you you do suddenly, and when you're not in control, it's you know, it's it's when you're not used to that, it's scary. And I think, and I found, I remember reading this quote, got to get it right now, by Nick Cave, randomly. I love him. Yeah, he's got, he's got actually some brilliant quotes. And it says like, you find a kind of invincibility through acute vulnerability. Mm. And I used to read that a lot to myself because I'd be like, because I, I was very much like that. And I was like, I have to think of it as a strength yeah. That actually being vulnerable takes courage mm-hmm. and as opposed to making me feel weak, which I think is how successful independent women do think of it as initially, because they're not in control of it and they're opening themselves up to someone else. And there is the fear of potentially being hurt or or just, you know, that taking over and suddenly you haven't got the right headspace for your day job or whatever but you have to think of it it is actually only strong courageous people that are willing to show their vulnerability so that is a that's a big one for me and I think that those are kind of I've found the biggest issues in that way more than some of the other potentially more classic ones that people talk about you know like body confidence and things and I think that um I think body confidence is generally something that just everyone feels <laughs> to some degree or another. And I um and you know it I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the whole body 
positivity, love yourself movement, because I think actually that sometimes feels just like more pressure. And do we actually have to love every part of our body every minute of every day? I just don't think that's realistic. Mm -hmm. And I think, but what you don't want to do is hate it either. So the, the ideal is to have that neutrality of just, it is what it is acceptance again Mm -hmm. um and I think that's just because life is just more enjoyable if you accept yourself because you know a thing particularly of things you can't change um but and that's why I love working in lingerie as well though because I feel like that has an amazing effect sometimes on women's confidence in a way that is doesn't have to be seen by anyone else yeah I remember this amazing story I met this years ago I was living in the states and I met this woman and she was a surgeon and she said that whenever she had a like a really big surgery you know sort of life and death situation she would always wear her best lingerie under her scrubs because and she said nobody saw it no one ever knew I was wearing it but it gave me the power to feel like I could do anything and achieve anything. And I just thought, how amazing is that? And it is, it's the secret confidence because we don't need, we don't need to be wearing it to show it off to somebody else. Actually, Mm -hmm. it gives us that inner, inner power. So, um, you know, so I love that as a, as a way of kind of, you know. I love that. And that's really, I need to get me some more underwear and wear it like just more basically. Well, actually that leads me really nicely onto my next question. So to the women like me, who've been in relationships a long time and, and, you know, you can fall into a pattern feeling a bit meh around sex. Um, and just, just because it becomes habitual, you know, and normalized. And it's like, it's like, this this is terrible to say but like my friend growing up she her family had a swimming pool and I was so jealous of the swimming pool right and then I'd say like like I would talk about this pool and she was like we barely ever go in it and I was like why she's like because it's just always there so you you just normalize to it basically and I'm like that reminds me of of what can happen with sex and I've got (laughs) clients you know majority of my clients are single very successful women but I have the odd woman who comes to work with me who's who's in a relationship and been in it a long time and just and is kind of you know looking at, at what's going wrong or what's not working for her um, and sex is definitely something always that comes up. So have you got any other practical tips for those women that can help spice things up a bit? Yeah, I mean, it's so true. I think it's almost impossible, I think, not to at times fall into that performative sort of days. And it's either that you're sort of not having sex or that you're having sex, but it's just that kind of well-worn, really? choreographed, thing that's the same every time you don't even really think about it mm-hmm. <laughs> and you don't even think about really whether you're loving it or hating it you just yeah. it's just done right um like brushing and, your teeth <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly it's like tick it off the to-do list yeah um, and I mean it it goes back to the conversation we we're having earlier about communication obviously because I think there is that way of um about things I think there are a few different things you can do I think there's things you can do that are not related to sex, but that can bring you closer potentially as partners. So it's almost like taking it out of the bedroom and just focusing on each other's pleasures that are not sexual. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, doing something that 
together that you know the other one loves some kind of you know activity that you know but it's about that you know they like it not that it's something you like that you're going to drag them along to um but I think it's that attention and recognition of the other person that can kind of reignite intimacy Mm -hmm. so you make it about enjoying each other's company doing different things together um and hope that that sort of you know forwards on to the to the bedroom so to speak. I think there's that side of things. And then there's, you know, spicing it up. I mean, how cheesy does it sound when you say that? Like, spice I up I, oh my God, I feel like I'm <laughs> like an agony aunt from the <laughs> 1950s. But I think, you know, try some different props. And I think, you know, there's things that you can do that are not you know, we're not saying, you know, just go from, you know, totally not to suddenly like hardcore BDSM. But I think there's so there's such a plethora of things in the middle, you know, buy like a silk blindfold. Mm-hmm. You can also use a man's tie, you know, if, if they if they wear suits, um, mm-hmm. you know, put that use that. It's soft. It feels nice. It's not something too scary or, you know, different. But, you know, you lose one sense and all your other senses are heightened. So, you know, put that on, um, get a little feather tickler, stroke it around their body, you know, offer to give them a massage, buy a really lovely massage oil um, and just connect with each other's bodies, you know, and and use that and just kind of do that as a kind of it could just be a massage or it could lead to sex either or. Um, And then obviously there's the whole world of toys. Mm-hmm. which have changed so much over, you know, over the last few years. There's, you know, the taboos have really broken down around using toys. Most people that buy toys from us, for instance, are, are couples, really. Um, but I think, you know, there's there's so much you can do there that's just fun, you know, and it can be a, you know, it can be a, a clitoral vibrator that's, you know, doesn't, doesn't, isn't penis shaped doesn't look kind of scary, isn't internal. So, you know, you can try with something like that. That's a basic, it's basically like a battery operated massager. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, those type of things that you can use with each other. There's also lots of, you know, fun type of ones you could do that are like remote controlled so that your partner can. So there's like a panty vibe. So, you know, you put a tiny little one in your knickers and then your partner can operate it when you're out for dinner. You know, there's, little things you can do like that that are just kind of cheeky games no one else needs to know about um and you know there's there's non-vibrating dildos that you can use where you can you know and they're beautiful objects now they come in glass in ceramic you can um you can do like temperature play with them put them in hot water put them in cold water so just like all of those things they're just it's change right it's just different and it's fun. And I think it's it's about being willing to try things and knowing that it doesn't have to be perfect. And mm-hmm. some things you won't like, and that's fine. Hopefully you can just, you know, have a laugh about it and, and move on. And other things, maybe you'll love and you just try it. It's like anything. It's like, you know, a new hobby. You don't know if you're going to be good at it or not, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't give it a go. And mm-hmm. So I think there's, you know, lots of different things. Lingerie, again, is um, is a great thing to try. And, you know, you can, again, wear it under your clothes first, 
you can get comfortable with it before you show anyone else. If you do have any particular hangups about your body or anything, you know, there's so many different things you can wear that are sort of super sensual, but maybe cover parts of you. You know, you can have like a lace slip or a bodysuit if you don't, you know, particularly like your stomach or something. Or, you know, there's there's so many different things you can do that um can just kind of because for me, lingerie is like redefining sexuality on our own terms as women. Mm-hmm. So it gives us that confidence and a power that um just changes our mindset a bit. Mm-hmm. And just always dressing up for yourself can put you in the mood. You know, I just think I always find if I'm really dressed up I have a different mindset than if I'm in a tracksuit working you know you you kind of you sit differently and you think differently and you're more focused because it just it does clothes shoes they all have that effect so um lingerie is the same thing and I think because of that we see so many more women buying lingerie for themselves now as opposed to that kind of age old that it was like men always buy it for women and women hate it you know that's like that's really changed now so mm. yeah completely I'm I'm just thinking about all the underwear I want to buy myself not even my husband just for me <laughs> love it exactly. <laughs> I can do Christmas coming up as well um okay I we are coming towards the end but I want to uh before I do the home straight questions which are like the lightning round questions I love your advice, risk more and risk earlier. I think it's genius. And I'm just wondering, can do you think that can be applied to our romantic lives? And if so, how? I think so. I feel like it should. Mm-hmm. I think there's, and what I think, that there's like this outdated focus in the kind of game of dating, I think, where there's that huge importance of putting your best foot self forward and not letting them see like the real you mm-hmm. too early. And I think by being so-called risky and by being completely yourself from the get-go, that to me is perfect. There's no time wasted mm-hmm. if that fit isn't right, you know, and there's, there is a joy in being unashamedly yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think and instead of playing that game and particularly for busy successful people why would you waste your time pretending to be someone else if you're looking for someone to love you mm-hmm. um so i think i absolutely think you can risk it earlier in the relationship or in the dating period and just go for it and then i feel like and if it doesn't work out it's just more good funny stories to t- tell your friends right because we all we all live for other people our friends dating stories right oh it's all content absolutely i love that and that's completely my ethos as well as like just be yourself from date one from the first point of contact be honest about where you're at in your life what you desire and like we were talking about earlier being being open and vulnerable because that is actually how you connect with someone we don't fall in love with someone because like they're super successful they've like you know done all these amazing things in their career we might be impressed by them but we don't fall in love with them because of that so i i love that you shared that lucy i'm very much on board with that ethos okay so the home straight questions so just the first thing that comes to your head with these ones what love life <laughs> advice would you give to your 15 year old self Boys can wait. Yeah, love that. <laughs> Not that one before. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Can you tell my 15-year-old what the person <laughs> made that as well while you're at it? <laughs> yeah, I think take care of yourself. Focus on what makes you happy. 
And when you're ready, never lose the essence of you in any relationship. Yeah, love that. What's one thing people may be surprised to know about you? I am known as a bit of a dog whisperer. (laughs) I am obsessed with dogs. Oh my gosh, my dog is like literally curled up on the floor. So surprised. And if I ever retire, and I say ever because I so can't imagine it ever happening, I'd love to set up a dog sanctuary (gasps) and just rescue loads of dogs and just be a crazy dog lady. Oh, I'll see you there. I love that. Absolutely love that. (laughs) Um, Before I ask my final question, where can people find out more about your work, Lucy? You can go to um, our Instagram account, which is UK, um, or our website, which is coconutmare.com with hyphens in between each word. Fantastic. We will make sure we link both of those in the show notes for this episode. Okay, your final question. What is your number one piece of advice for any single women out there who are thriving in their career, but struggling in their love or sex life? I would say, first of all, you've got to ask yourself some questions. Are you content? What gives you joy? How much does your love or sex life affect that happiness? Because for me, settling for the wrong relationship out of loneliness or ticking boxes is a far lonelier existence. And I just think you've got to remember that love, love weaves into our lives in so many different ways. And it's society that pins it on a sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. But we need to think more broadly and think about Look at the joy that friends bring to us, that our family does, that our pets, our hobbies, our career. Love is so much more than one person. And we need to be able to celebrate all of them and not focus so much on purely finding the one to be complete. Um, Because I think, you know, and relationships take time and effort and If your love life is something that you want to make time and space and effort for, then you have to start making that space. But otherwise, enjoy the pleasure you get from other aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. And remember that men never get questioned for being single but successful in their career. Never. Bloody true. (laughs) Amen to that. So. You have been the most amazing guest. I've had so many nuggets. I've got, look, I've, this is story of my life, like little post-it with just scribble on it that I probably can't even read later, but I'll, I will find a way to decipher it. Thank you so much, Lucy. I know our guests are going to love this episode. Well, thank you so much. It's been so lovely talking to you about all these incredible topics of conversation. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope this episode served you and gave some practical insights and strategies around the next steps in transforming your love life from the inside out. Do come and let me know over on Instagram what resonated for you the most and why. I am at Persia Lawson. And if you want more tips and tools on how to become a vibrational match for the powerful, committed relationship that you deserve, check out my book, Love is Coming, as well as my programs and coaching containers over at persialawson.com. This website is also linked in this episode's show notes. And if you got value from this episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd like, subscribe, share, and or leave a quick review. This helps the podcast rank higher so it can reach other women who want or need the support. And to have your question answered, 
send it over to podcast at persialawson.com and we'll get to it ASAP. Until next time, I want you to remember that love is coming for you. But in the meantime, it's your responsibility to stop looking outside of yourself for the partner you want to get and start looking inside of yourself for the partner you want to be.